Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Forecast is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of Forecast is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to Netflix.com slash twit. What sort of future do you think we're heading for? How will we live as we slip into the 21st century? Welcome to Forecast Episode 74. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Scott Johnson. And we meet once again to join four people together in sight of no one but our chat room, you, and the heavens above, <laughs> to predict what will happen in the future. And Jammer be on the board. Let's not forget right, him. Yes, John. you're right. And I'm wearing my most reflective glasses today so that I can look as ridiculous as possible. So pink skin, check. Well, those reflective aren't, glasses, check. Those aren't mirror shades. Those no, are just, they're not. Okay. These are these are horrible shades. <laughs> uh, joining us today, industry analyst for the Altimeter Group, Jeremiah Aoyang. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, it's great to have you along. And also Joshua Caleb, creative genius and writer extraordinaire for RetroGamesForever.com. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being with us as well. Let's get right into the predicting with one from our listener, Alan, in Plano, Texas. He says, in the next five to ten years, I predict that working from home will be the norm for many corporate jobs. Think about it. I'm paying for a house. I'm only in half the day. My employer is paying for an office building. They only occupy for less than half the day. All the other times we're paying to heat, cool, and maintain these spaces and having to commute between the two. With gas prices rising and more applications going into the cloud, I see the pros starting to outweigh the cons. My company already reimburses us for our home internet costs because we can work from home because of some of the applications being hosted on Citrix servers, but they still make us come into the office for 40 hours a week. As an IT analyst, I might have to make a few house calls when everyone works at their homes for hardware issues, but it would be better than being stuck in an office building all all day doing things I could do from home. What are your thoughts I know Scott loves working in his basement. You're already doing this. You're living this, Scott. Yeah, I kind of am. Um, I, I I think he's right that we are headed this direction, and I think with the the rise of fuel prices and just the the just the the pure sort of ease of being able to connect with people, uh, and and as bandwidth gets higher and higher, we'll be able to do more and more over the internet. Um, I, I I do understand though why people or why companies are adverse to this at least initially, and maybe need to be convinced, and sometimes they're never convinced, but. I think what it comes down to is they are paying you a bunch of money and they feel better about that money being paid when they know they can see you all the time. Um, and I think that is a really hard thing to get away from. I think people really struggle to pull away from that and and not only just sort of have the trust, but be able to equate the value of the work higher than the actual physical presence of the person doing it. And I think we're a ways off before that becomes you know super accepted. But right now... And there's, you know, there's stuff here and there that move in that direction. I have a, a client that I used to work for time, full time for. I still do work for them. And even then, I can kind of sense from them, man, I wish he was right here so we could see him do it kind of vibe. And yeah. I think that's probably true all around. People have been predicting this for a while, and it, it just is slow in coming. Jeremiah, you're in an office right now. What do you, what do you think the time frame is before we shed that or, or do we ever? 
Yeah. So the way that we run the company here, and I'm one of the uh, the partners, is uh, uh, we believe that people can get their job done, and they don't necessarily need to be in the office. And the ends justify the means, and that's and you can see there's just a few people behind me, and we're a team of about 15. So. I don't think necessarily the result will be we will work from home or we will work from office. We will just work from anywhere. Uh, the mobile devices will get so good. All the content will be in the cloud that we can work from wherever we need to be. But with that said, we get the most done when the team comes together and we collaborate face-to-face. Like I just met with my team in Oakland. I went to their house, coincidentally, rather than we have this office here in, in Silicon Valley in San Mateo. So um, I think the end, net result in the end, you work from wherever. It doesn't matter, home, office, or on the road. Yeah, I think it's going to change the way an office is constructed more than get rid of the office. Because you're right, face-to-face interaction is still the best. I mean, we figured that out on podcasting as well, that it, you know, it's great to be able to have Skype and bring folks in like yourself with that, that can't make it into our studio over Skype, but it's never as good. It's never quite as good as when everybody's in the same room. I mean, Joshua, you've done enough podcasts. You, pro- you probably have experienced this as well. Yeah, I definitely like working from home much better. But unfortunately, where I work, this won't, I can't do that until they invent um, robot like avatars to take your place at your work. Yeah, see, that would be the trick, right? That's the issue is if we, that's when I think it turns. We get to a point where whether it's some kind of robot avatar or it's a projection of yourself, but whatever that thing is that makes it seem like, let's say in Twit's case, makes it seem like I'm sitting across from that microphone Tom's on and I'm on that other microphone and there's no lag, there's no change in quality. And I think these are all very possible in the, in the coming years. But when that day happens, I think you'll see a huge shift to people working wherever they are, whenever they can, and not yeah, well, in some set location. I really think that's true. So I've been to Cisco quite a bit and HP. They have telepresence and Halo respectively, and I've used them. And and about 20 minutes into the experience, you don't even know that these people are, are all over the globe because the, the high-definition screens and cameras and the location-sensitive uh, video, I mean, the audio that's coming out where the different, three different plasma screens are, it really feels like they're right there. And you forget that these people are 2D and you just focus on the conversations. So I'm already seeing this happen. Yeah, and then that's the key is is that wall goes away, that lag goes away, and that ability to to make eye contact and have nonverbal gestures. Uh, it, it, once that's capable over over uh, a, a distant connection, over a telepresence kind of connection, uh, I I think then we start to realize, well, maybe we don't need to be in the same physical co- location because we can project ourselves into that location my sister who is a therapist just one final note here uh and she's been on the show before my sister wendy she has made this comment before and it's always kind of stuck with me she says that she believes she has no data to back this up but she truly believes that the rate of technological growth and these ways of people connecting and getting together and that getting better and better is running parallel with obesity in this country (laughs) and that we're all just going to get fatter and fatter because it's easier and easier to do less and less to get to where we need to be and that if this gets better, then this gets fatter, and it just kind of keeps going like that forever. I don't know. She, again, she has nothing to back this up. Yeah, but yeah. I love I, the idea. I kind of think that that. Wall, anyone? What's that, Jeremiah? Or uh, Joshua? Wall-y. We all oh, end yeah, up as yeah, Wall E. Totally, yeah. Totally, yeah. <laughs> you know, I do think, though, that being in an office contributes to that because of the type of jobs you're talking about. I mean, if, you're, if your job is in a retail store, walking around, uh, stocking shelves, helping customers, uh, you're, you're not going to be as, as liable to that kind of obesity as if you're in a desk job 
where you just you have to come into the office by nine and sit behind your desk until five. If you're able to work from home, it actually gives you more opportunities to move around uh, and yeah. do things you know that, that you wouldn't have the freedom to do in an office. So maybe that'll True. help. I don't know. Hopefully. Anyway, thanks to Alan. Uh, for a very uh, good and thought-provoking email. If you'd like to send us your predictions, you can do so to our email address, forecastpodcast at gmail.com, or post them up at our website, forecastpodcast.com. Let's get into the short-term predicting. Uh, These are things we think will happen sooner rather than later. And, Jeremiah, we're going to start with you. Uh, When you look at the short-term future, what do you see? Well, I mean, help me with short term, like months, years. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually, we leave it flexible so that you're not limited, but we're talking sooner rather than later, maybe the next few years, if you need a timeline, five to 10 years, something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, we could do that. Um, I think that URLs kind of go away, so I don't think URLs will matter as much. Ooh, Tim Berners-Lee uh, is not going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why uh, URLs aren't going to matter. So URLs is a form of machine language, same thing with like... Uh, um, anytime, you know, even just using hashtags or, or, or different types of symbols that the ma- machines have to translate. That's machine language. So I think in the future that like these types of mobile devices will indicate where we are. Like color.com is, you know, can read audio information and also uh, can look at the type of color in your place to determine who are the people around you and where are you. You tie that to the location data where you are and then just even like your social profile like in Facebook or Twitter. All of this information is being assembled and starting to spread just right on the fly and assembling. That I believe that websites will dynamically assemble right on the fly based upon that context of who you are, uh, what's your background, are you like me, an Asian male in the Bay Area. And then if you're physically at a store, you know, if there's a digital display all of that information will just start to assemble right there in the fly. And that's why I think like navigating to uh, like directories or using uh, uh, URLs will just go away because information just appear instantly uh, when you need it and how you need it. Interesting. So um, I, on the one hand, we've, this is the first time we've heard this prediction, by the way, it's, which is getting harder and harder to do, to not hear at least a variation on an existing prediction. So this is a good one. Um, the, the concern I have about it is I feel like, and maybe this is, <laughs> we're the generation who have embraced the internet. And when we, and as we move on and these kids come along with their non-URLs, we're going to fight against that. Because it seems like we're losing a piece of control here or a, uh, a piece of uh, choice or a piece of uh, us being the ones that motivate something to happen. So me sending uh, Tom a link about something on, on Boing Boing right now kind of has a cool facet to it. It's like my friend Tom likes these sorts of things. I know that he does. I've discovered it. He hasn't seen it yet. I'm now going to do the thing that I do with him, and that is to paste this URL into an email, send it off to him and say, hey, thought you might like might like this. I actually just did this yesterday. So I don't want to lose that. Will there be a way? So here's my question back to you, yeah. uh, Jeremiah. If there's, is, Do you believe or foresee a way that we can maintain that kind of control or that kind of hands-on experience or that kind of personal interaction with our data or is there a way for the machines to give that sense back to us so that we don't feel like we've just lost control and all we have to do is show up in front of a camera and it knows what we want? Well, already you can share that information with your friends without even copying and pasting URL, and that's just using the like button on Facebook. So that's already starting to happen. Uh, but imagine your friends in the future aren't on Facebook, and we should assume Facebook won't be around forever. Um, that, But we will have some form of contact list, and you can share that information. And, and your friends would automatically know that you like something because of your behaviors. <clears throat> so these systems are definitely going to become very intuitive. Um, copying and pasting in URLs, that stuff's archaic. 
I, I, I hope you're right in one sense and I hope you're wrong in one sense. And I, and I think you mean it more in the way that I hope you're right, which is that the need to know what the universal resource indicator is, the, the need to, to know what a URI is for any given data object goes away. Uh, that that the, the interface just gets easy enough that I don't have to know that. But it may still exist underneath because you're saying it's machine code, right? It's stuff that exists. Sure, in, sure. in another way, I don't want it to go away because one of the dangers of, of something like Facebook is that the data is not accessible the way something that has a URI is. Uh, in other words, if everything has a URI, it's accessible to anything else on the web. That's what makes the web work. That's why I said Tim Berners-Lee would not like this prediction because he's fighting to say, look, we need to not be tying up so much data in these walled-off gardens like Facebook, and we need to yep. have it work on the web. But, Tom, that's assuming that the future of the web would be static with just static web pages and, and little bits of information. My suggestion is that content will assemble from pulling in multiple sources of information and make it totally contextual. So it might be pulling URLs, URIs, little components, little bits, little atoms, little pieces of uh, the recipe right into that, that dish that assembles on your countertop, whatever it is. I'm just speaking in metaphors. So yeah, sure, it's there in the background, but something's going to be so much more powerful and more contextual and relevant um, that it'll assemble all that content there. Uh, so that's why I still stick with this prediction. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a, that's a more, I can be more comfortable with that way of predicting, which is your URIs are all there. Everything's still accessible to everything else on the web, but the web has become so much more contextual and, and maybe semantic uh, that we don't have to mess with it anymore. We don't have to type in HTTP uh, and, and something in an address bar. We have easier ways of getting to that information. Joshua, what do you think? Are, you know, how are you going to promote RetroGamesForever.com in this situation? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the thing that worries me about this is how do I go to a specific URL that I know I want to go to if this stuff is just sort of being compiled, compiled and assembled on the fly if I'm doing like my research and I know I want to go to this specific place or I'm doing research on something that has no basis whatsoever on my location or anything else, I just want to research it. How does that work? How does it assemble with no context? This reminds me of my new car. I know this is going to sound weird, but uh, I just got a, a, a Fiesta, one of those little Fiestas, right? Little rally car looking thing. And I like it because it's economical. I'm getting great gas mileage. I'm getting like Prius, Prius numbers on this thing. And the, it comes with sync. So Ford sync's in there. All right. Well, we're not, now we're all sort of used to, you know, our phones Bluetoothing into our cars and be able to hit a button and go call Tom Merritt and having it do it. But it seems like maybe this is the, the evolution you're talking about. And it may not be voice activated, but that's just the mechanism here. But it does seem, if I look back, it would seem a little strange 20 years ago for me to think, a, having a car on my phone, but or a phone in my car, but B, how would I call people on it? I would have to look up some kind of directory and I'd have to find their name alphabetically and then have to click that name somehow. That all seems not that long ago. And now here we are circumventing that completely on two totally different devices. A car that just saw my phone and said, oh, assimilate the information. And then I just say, call Tom Merritt and it does it. Um, if that's the kind of progress you're talking about for those kinds of tasks on the internet, that sounds awesome to me. It's, it's, and it feels like that same kind of thing. Am I wrong there? 
Yeah, that's exactly where it is. That I mean, in your car, all that context, it should know who do you talk to, where are you driving, so who are you likely to call to tell them that you're on the way or late. So all that information would symbol, absolutely. Our lives in navigating and finding information will become, the, the point of trying to find information will continue to decrease, 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 decrease. I mean, I like Joshua's point, though. When you're trying to find something new, new information, that makes a lot of sense. Now, the downside to all of this is the the risk that we're only exposed to information um, to people like us or information we're very likely to like. So let's imagine I'm a, a right winger or a left winger and my, my, op, my viewpoints are so tiny in the spectrum of the world. Um, these systems may, might start to only give me that type of information of that real small niche content and I might miss out on the bigger picture of the world because I might not be exposed to that information. So that's one of the risks as we get more contextual uh, content. More internet clicks. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that, that's the thing is this idea of changing, going away from URLs does open up a big giant can of worms and questions about what about all the other stuff. But we, it's, some, it's easy to get trapped in that. Like, well, how do I go to my friend's website if all I need to do is just put it in? And I, and I, and I agree that that kind of thinking is what slows us down and keeps us from this next step. We'll figure that out. That stuff will come. It may not be Google then who dominates, or or it may be. They may be the ones to not only embrace this new way of uh, assembling technology. Hell, they may invent it for all we know. Um, so I, for one, welcome our future overlords at Google. I'm excited about it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people use the Google search box as their way to get to a website. <clears throat> they, don't, yeah. they don't use the address bar. That's why you see yep. Facebook.com showing up as one of the top search terms. Uh, they they type they type it in and they search and then they get a result and they click on it and that's how that's how they think those people uh, are already the, living in that world. Oddly enough, all of those all of those searches uh, were pointed back to my mother's IP address. I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> also, I should correct myself. I said Universal Resource Indicator. It's Identifier. Just mm. that'll stop one email from coming. Let's move <laughs> over to you, Joshua. Uh, your short term prediction uh, in the next few years in the short term. What do you think? Um, this one's definitely a little more closer range, but I think that the when the Chrome OS notebooks actually launch, uh, if they actually launch, they will completely kill off the remaining netbook market and may even eat into the tablet uh. laptop market. I'm stretching a little bit on the tablet, but... I'm thinking they may even eat in, in, into the laptop market. Wow. So like like MacBooks that are, you know, gaining so much ground, the MacBook Air and everything would have to take a look at that and go, oh, you know, back up. But, but you, I mean, are you saying basically they're going to follow the same pattern that they, that they do with Android? Well, the, the, way, the way I sort of see this is that this is sort of based on why net, netbooks became so popular. It's because people wanted a small, simple computer for just absolutely basic stuff. The problem was that netbooks were running Windows, and Windows is not exactly for the technophobe or per, per someone who isn't really familiar with computers or how they work, where they basically all they want is the browser. Or a Chrome OS, all, since all it is is the browser, you just turn it on, and boom, you're on the internet. You can do whatever most people would do with a netbook, and to an extent, laptops and tablets. And the thing where I think Chrome OS has a leg up over tablets 
is the browser can actually access the full web quite easily. Whereas tablets, even the Android ones and the BlackBerry ones with all their flash support and whatnot still have trouble accessing and rendering the entire internet in a navigable and readable form. But you still have, I mean, people have, the the argument has been, well, netbooks have keyboards. That's their advantage. But people are still turning to tablets in greater numbers. Do you think that there would have to be a Chrome OS tablet to get people on board with a touch interface or, or... Or are we going to see newer form factors that have maybe a touchscreen and a foldable keyboard and, and, and cool stuff like that? And would they directly compete with, with Android tablets is a, a good point. Yeah, and why well. would they do that exactly? Yeah, yeah that, that's the part where they may decide to maybe fold in Chrome OS into Android. But the, there, are, there are people that still like the keyboard thing. But I think that you could see a Chrome OS tablet... And may, it, would, it would have to be like dirt cheap and it would just be like the absolute simplicity thing that people, they just want the internet. That's all they care about. They just want their Facebook and their YouTube and their email. They don't care about all these apps and stuff because that, that's sort of with, with smartphones. Half the people that I see are, are buying these new Android phones or whatever. They haven't a clue how to use them. It's It's a phone that does text messaging and maybe a little internet browsing, all this other app stuff is completely foreign to them. And that the browser being it is definitely the killer app on all of these. Uh, although I think the story would, if you were right, the story would be told that Chrome OS saved the netbook because the netbooks are, are dying off right now. So if Chrome OS comes in and, and wins... They may kill off the rest of the market, but may, they they could save the form factor. Jeremiah, do you see any uh, any hope for for Chrome OS in this? Yeah, I think a majority of folks are definitely wanting this thin client. I think this lightweight makes a lot of sense because a lot of our content can be assembled. But for uh, we're seeing this trend, like the iPad is really what I call a. Um, a consumption device. We're consuming information using it, uh, but it's not in a lot of recreational use and travel use. But I still think for heavy-duty work, we're still going to need keyboards. But I want to talk about input and output devices in the long-term uh, predictions. Right. Uh, but overall, I, I agree with Joshua uh, that, yes, uh, we're going to start to see things move to the browser. But I think it's really important to note that the pendulum swings back and forth in technology from centralized to distributed to centralized to distributed, back and forth. Like There's going to be a point where uh, these thin clients when I'm calling a browser like a thin client because yeah, yeah. I mean, technically you have to download the browser in most cases. Um, but at, at some point, the computer needs are going to become greater than the bandwidth capability, the pipe. So it's going to shift back over uh, and then we'll start the pendulum again. It'll be interesting to see if Google can pull off a thing like a little bit like Apple did with the iPad. I mean, people had been sort of poo-pooing tablets for, for years, myself included, because the early implementations and Microsoft's first attempts and 0203, I guess it would have been, uh, were, were clunky right. and weird, and I didn't like any of that stuff. And I remember thinking, boy, this is just isn't going to work. It just This just proves tablets are not a thing people care about. It took somebody to come along, in this case Apple, and then maybe in this other, you know, the netbook market, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's Chrome and maybe it's Google. But, but it takes somebody to come forward and say, yeah, kind of forget what you know, and then here's this. And if, if Google can do that, then, you know, Joshua's dream comes true, or not your dream, but your prediction. Maybe it's your dream, I don't know. It, it would be my dream. The only problem with this is it relies somewhat on Google 
being effective at actually marketing this thing to consumers. That is that is the key thing that Apple's very good at uh, that Google has yet to prove themselves to be very good at. <clears throat> but but is you know with uh, Larry in charge and a and a revitalized organization, uh, maybe they'll show us something. Let's move on to the long term predictions. These are the more in a hundred years we'll all be in flying cars uh, sorts of predictions. And Joshua, we'll stick with you. What do you see in the longer term? Um, this this is sort of a wish and a prediction, but I think that and this has probably been said before, but there will be a online or intellectual revolution whether or not it's violent or not but there will be a come a point where our current system for all the copyright and ip and patents and everything will just crumble to pieces and people and either people will start to will make demands and have a revolution to bring this about or it'll just start to slowly grind to a halt and we'll finally have enough tech-savvy politicians and government officials to realize that this needs to be overhauled for the new digital age so that there will be some kind of revolution. Whether or not it's violent or not, I don't know, but... <laughs> we can all if hope. <laughs> well, I, you know, we talk a lot about copyright stuff. Certainly this network does, and Tom does quite a bit. Um, in fact, he's the, if I have a copyright question, I don't anyone, e email anybody but Tom. He seems to know a lot more about it than I do. And I'm involved in making a lot of content that I would like to be protected. Does your, your anarchy against copyright protection, is it because it just becomes so big and so, so much of it that you can't police it anymore? To the point that, you know, if it's one thing if one guy steals a loaf of bread at the market, you can find that guy and you can arrest him. But if everybody that day, if thousands of people that day all stole a loaf of bread that day, that's a much harder prospect to, you know, sort of. Well, and also they, a thousand people steal the loaf of bread and yet the, the store is still full of loaves of bread. Yeah, good point. Hadn't thought of it that way. So, yeah, bread is a terrible example because there's limited bread. In fact, there were only 100 loaves and somehow 1,000 people got one. I don't know what happened. Some kind of miracle, maybe. But the point is that <laughs> if, uh, if that's the case and, and, and if it's because so many people are doing it and they're doing it over and over and over. And like Tom says, there's an endless supply of the A-Team movie for people to download and, and, and watch. That never sort of goes away, and they can try to shut it down, but they never do. Is that the cause of what? Is that what brings it down, or is it just that the laws themselves haven't kept up with current standards? Is there, in other words, is there a way to curb that by applying better thinking and better laws to it? Yeah, I'm not sure which would actually come first. Uh, either everyone just gets so fed up with everything, and they just start in droves, maybe like pirating or downloading stuff, and it just becomes unpoliceable. Or if our government officials finally get wise to and figure out what the Internet actually is and how to use it, I, I don't really know which would, which would come first. But I definitely think one of those two will happen and our current system of laws and copyright will just fall to pieces and be completely rewritten from the ground up. So, Jeremiah, you do a lot, I'm sure, with this kind of content or talking about it with clients. What do you, uh, how do you see the future of copyright? Yeah, so I'm practicing this. So I used to be uh, an analyst at one of the 
you know, the large analyst firms, you, you, you definitely know the name. And uh, all of that content, those research reports are in syndicated, so you have to have a subscription. And you see the New York Times doing similar things. So we're definitely already seeing premium. Now, we're already experimenting with that here at the Altimeter Group. Is, so I'm publishing those same types of reports under Creative Commons, and I put them on SlideShare. Um, so I just let it go. I'm just very open about it. We call it open research. So I think that there's other ways. I think Joshua's right. Uh, there's other ways that we can look. But we need. To, I don't think it's going to start with the government, gentlemen. I think it starts with monetization. Because the copyright creators are the ones that will have to release this first. The government is always playing catch up to technology, and us, we're all like early adopters, right? So uh, I think that once people understand that there's other ways to do monetization with content, that's the way it'll happen. So premium features in the A-Team, A-team uh, movie, or even if they start putting marketing and advertising of products that are related to the lifestyle that people would want in A-Team, so they put the monetization right into the content. That's, start, that's the change where everything is open media. Yeah, I, I, I think it's not going to be a bloody revolution or, or a violent revolution. I think it's going to be a very quiet and yet slow revolution where there are people growing up today using the internet from birth. You know, and, and to them, it just makes sense that you, you can't stop people from accessing digital content that's just the way it is and why is it wrong for me to go and download things on the internet that's what the internet's for why would i try to make my money stopping the internet from working the way it works so i think as generations move out of control of these companies that you start to see people coming in and saying look this doesn't make any sense we're just fighting our own users and it's going to the other piece of that puzzle has to be people who have an innovative idea of how to make money. And I think Jeremiah is absolutely right. If somebody says, but you know what we can do, we can make money on this. The big problem is the big problem is right now we have people who've been making money in an inefficient system uh, in, a, in a way that allows them to, to make money on things that aren't very good because of the inefficiencies in the system. Now the system's incredibly efficient. You're not gonna pay, you're not gonna pay for anything unless you really support it, unless you really love it and it's really good. And so a lot of industries have a lot to lose that that they have been riding on in the past because of the way the system existed, uh, and they're not gonna give that up easily. And I don't blame them. I, I wouldn't want to give it up easily either. But the the, the tactic you have to take if you want to win in the end is to take a, that longer term view. Is it something that okay? Just quick note here about HBO and Game of Thrones. It's just started yesterday, right? Haven't seen it yet. Why? Because I don't have HBO. So I went and did the thing I always do, which is, does iTunes have it? Is there somewhere I can, can I buy this show somewhere? And the answer is no, except subscribing to a cable package and then getting on top of that HBO and Showtime and all that. And if I'm not willing to do that and pay those prices because I just want Game of Thrones, are you saying the onus, Tom, are you saying the onus is on HBO to say, Shoot, if we don't make this available in other legitimate services and other ways of getting stuff, people are just going to torrent the crap out of episode one and we're going to lose money. Is that kind of, I mean, how do I, how do we get around the HBO problem? Yeah, well, I think eventually somebody else takes over HBO and says, well, look, this is ridiculous. Why are, why are we doing it this way? Uh, but the two things have to happen. People who believe in an, in an older way of doing business and just can't let go of that and think they can make it, force it to happen in the internet, have to get out of the way. And then you have to have some distance from that big pile of money you were getting in the old way of doing it uh, and, and some ideas about how to make a, a big pile of money out of a new way 
of doing it. But right now, it's yeah. just too easy and too tempting to go the other direction. So let me jump in. There's there's three factors that they can that HBO can use to monetize, and the first one is time. So if you don't have a lot of time, and I don't have a lot of time, I'm willing to pay for premium content on demand. Like I actually buy a lot of music on iTunes because I know the um, so that because I, I don't have time. I just want it now. The second one is the quality of content. So if you can get something on a torrent, do you think do you really think it's going to be HD? Is it really going to be 7.1 surround sound? Is it really going to be the file you thought you were downloading? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Is it it a clean file? Or is there somebody walking by the theater? And then the third thing is, and this is an important one, gentlemen, is that I don't think media is going to stay static forever. So Absolutely. In the future, some of this content will be dynamic. And people will interact and the actors might want to have a dialogue or people might want to be chatting and the directors will be chatting with you live while you're watching it. Or even in the radical future, this content will be assembled dynamically and the story might change and you can help change the stories you interact with your Xbox 5 or PlayStation 10. So um, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for media to grow and monetize, which is premium stuff as well. They're actually experimenting with making and writing movies that and games that react to your reaction of what's happening and they can change the outcome of the movie and or game based on your reaction yeah the video game industry you could argue is already making huge steps in this direction and they're doing it in a way that provides a lot of for example downloadable content and complete packages of games that are inexpensive so they're not, you know, it's not by, like buying a retail thing. It is discless and not having to stack a shelf full of stuff. They're quality experiences. Um, they range from, you know, small sort of casual experiences to, to sort of complex hardcore experiences. And they figured out a way to monetize that so that the only way to get it is through a service that you have to pay for. And you're willing to do it because it's a good game. Um, and, and, and so in a very real way, the, the, the gaming industry, while taking a few steps back and letting independent people do more, they're also a few steps, you know, ahead saying, well, here is a distribution model where you, the developer and publisher can be assured to make whatever money you're going to make out of however many sales you make. And then it's just down to the quality of your game and not, you can't blame it on a whole bunch of piracy. I mean, some of that can still get pirated, but for the most part, they've made real strides in that in that way. So well, it'll, be, that, it'll be interesting to see if anyone else follows suit. That's the other thing that always bugs me when when people start talking about, well, the the music industry is losing money because of piracy. Movies are losing money because of piracy. And we can argue all day about whether they are or not. But the fact of the matter is we have so many more choices for entertainment. Uh, it's like saying, well, those broadcast networks should outlaw cable because they're they're losing audience now that there's more channels. Well, of course they are. When cable came along and you had 100 channels, you stopped watching the broadcast networks in the huge numbers that we used to. But it didn't mean the broadcast networks died and went away. And it didn't mean that the broadcast networks should go and try to push for laws to outlaw cable television. It was just an open marketplace and a lot of competition. And, and, and that's part of the story that doesn't get told enough is some of us just aren't buying music as much because we're not listening to music as much we're playing video games and listening to music there or or we're on facebook and and we're we're talking about things or you know we're just doing so many other things to entertain ourselves than we used to yep all right let's move over to your long-term prediction jeremiah you you alluded to it briefly uh earlier so so what do you've got in the in is input output arena 
Yeah, well, first of all, predictions. Uh, I've made predictions when as an analyst, and while they were uh, in order, they were correct. They just happened a lot faster than I expected. Like I, I did a paper on the future of the social web, and I looked out five years, and it actually happened in two and a half. So uh, by no means do I ever think that I'm ever going to be completely right. But if, if you notice the, the trend and the theme, I, I want to get rid of the, the, the technology that we don't need. So I think that input and output devices uh, go away. So I think keyboards and mice, uh, this stupid headset that I'm wearing, uh, and, these, and like a, a phone, <laughs> they, they all disappear. Oh, actually, not disappear. They fade into the background. So I think the typing and 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 um, in some cases even uh, the forms of written language go away because computers and devices will be able to understand the semantics and the verbal voice and IQs. Uh, not your IQ, like the cues from your eyeballs and your retina. And uh, this is how information will just assemble. And I think so. That's the uh, the in. The input. So on the output side, I think that you know screens and monitors just disappear, and just a new type of a digital wallpaper will emerge, and then you would put it on your walls, and this information or projectors, uh, and it just the output devices will be everywhere and around us. You know, heads-up displays and cars are becoming more. Like if you have a Prius, you already see some of those things happening. So. Uh, long story short, um, input output devices as we as we know it get smaller and smaller and smaller. The devices you know start moving into our into our earbuds and then eventually just become sentient or ambient all around us. Uh, and I think this is a and people always laugh at me when I say this, but I I think it's called uh, e telepathy. And this that's is not what bad. I. The that's a cool, I that's a cool that, name for it. I like that. Yeah, and that's when I know that. Myself as a technology industry analyst, that's when I need to retire because <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen the film, and I hope you haven't. But if you've seen the film Zardoz, uh, really bad Sean Connery movie from the late 70s, early 80s, um, he, it's, it's a terrible film. And we watched it for Film Sack, which is why we watched it because it's terrible. But he, he kind of predicts this technology you're talking about. He's able to project uh, stuff Anywhere, anytime, any surface, kind of just at will. Uh, and I think he used something in his thumb. I can't remember what the deal was. But anyway, so it still had a little device dependency. But the idea of ambient, um, sort of ambient information everywhere we go and being able to just stop and talk to a friend and go, well, what about this? And up comes some sort of, you know, holographic heads up display next to you. And this is all powered by, uh, you know, I don't know. AT&T of the future or whoever's doing it where they just sort of power the air with all of this capability and we literally make atomic, you know, uh, structural changes so that things can sort of pop up and, and display things is an awesome future. Do you see that? How do you see, and I ask this all the time with the guests, but how do you see that impacting the social sort of structure of the world, this country, other countries, humanity? What does that do to change us? Um, it can go one of two ways. One, we become a lot more social because we have we don't hide behind our devices. We can actually have face to face, and I don't know. Maybe there's information appearing in these glasses that I'm wearing, or in a contact, or some type of retina embed. Who knows? A hundred years out is a long, long time out, and technology continues to just go up like that uh, as innovation happens. So either that's the first option is become a lot more social because the devices get out of the way and we can focus on talking to each other, or in, in the case of e-telepathy, if this actually comes to, to play, is that we can send signals to each other. We can have this whole video cast uh, without even opening our mouths. So we don't even need to communicate verbally to each other. Uh, we were just able to... A lot of people would prefer think. it that way. <laughs> I know what I'm hosting. 
anyway. <laughs> I, I doubt that. Um, but um, so the verbal cues might go away and then we might not even need to see each other or even talk to each other. Uh, and that could be a, a really sad thing or it could be a really fantastic thing. Who knows? Is that called the hive mind? Yeah, that's right. Sort of, yeah. I mean, that's what the anti uh, the anti hive mind people will say, right? Like, that's one of the issues that always comes up on the show is when we have a fantastic new way of doing something. It's enough of a cultural shift, enough of a paradigm shift that pe- there's always going to be this group who hates it, this group who fights it, this group who says, "Well, forget it. We're going to live in Pennsylvania and never use your crazy uh, air technology. We're going to we're going to keep using cell phones and computers and and stay that way forever." I don't think you can get around that, but. Um, if I'm around or if I was around during this time, I think I would probably embrace this idea. I like, I like being able to, to, you know, communicate in ways that eliminate the boundaries to communication that eliminate things like Skype and lag and slow internet and all the other things we have to deal with, uh, even today, which are huge steps beyond what we used to have to do, but it'd be great to just be in that, in that milieu instead of fighting it all the time. Scott Johnson's opinion of Pennsylvania is not representative of Twit LLC, Tom Merritt, or anyone else on this program. <laughs> All right, uh, before we get to the crazy predictions, let's take a break and uh, thank our sponsor, Netflix, who bring you streaming movies right to your home. You can instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies like Zardoz, for instance, if you want to find out what's going on with Sean Connery in that movie. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't cost you any extra. You sign up for Netflix, you can watch this movie, and you won't say, oh, I regret paying for that because it's just part of your unlimited streaming uh, that you can have of all the movies there. You can watch them on your PC or Mac or even on your television. If you got uh, any kind of game console, Xbox, PS3, or a Wii, you've got access to Netflix right there. You just need to sign up, and you can stream anything right on your TV. It's also available on lots of other devices like Roku and Boxy and Google TV. Uh, you can also get DVDs by mail and about a business day. Watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want. Uh, do you, do you, I, I have a better pick than Zardoz. I watched Dead <laughs> Snow this weekend, a fantastic oh, yeah. zombie Nazi movie, or Nazi mm-hmm. zombie movie, depending on how you look at it, uh, out of Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that's something. I, it, it, Zardoz, I don't recommend it if you're looking for a good science fiction film. I do recommend it if you want to just wonder what the heck was going on and whose decision was this. It is a classic, terrible movie. But yeah, the, the, the Snow Zombie movie was pretty good, too. Way to go, Germany. So uh, watch Zardoz, Dead Snow, or a number of uh, fantastic movies. Uh, Dead Snow is actually really good. Uh, if, you like, yeah. if you like a good zombie movie, I recommend it. Uh, watch it or choose it uh, for free. Try it out for free. Uh, free trial available if you go to Netflix.com slash Twit. And we thank Netflix for their support of Twit.tv. I'm waiting for Netflix to come on to my e-telepathy device. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to have a game console. You just stream it right into your brain. Of course, you'll need yep. party viewing then if you want to enjoy a movie with someone else. Or brain sharing. <laughs> Some sort of brain sharing, yeah. Right. Brain, brain sharing protocol. B2B gets a whole B2B. new definition. <laughs> That's the new uh, pirate base. Yeah. Uh, brain to brain. All right, let's uh, move into our crazy-ass predictions. Uh, something really far out there, like in 2,000 years, we'll all be made of cheese or something like that. Time frame doesn't matter. Just your craziest prediction. What do you got for us, Jeremiah? Well, let's talk about evolution, and not in the religious sense at all, um, but the fact that you know creatures do continue to evolve. Uh, but what we see right now is technology 
and medicine is continuing to. And we're going to see a big boost with the boomers uh, that are aging right now. And a lot of money is being spent into keeping them young. They don't want to age. Nobody wants to age. And and what we'll see is this: these technologies and medical uh, advances will be able to keep people that may have not been able to survive 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, here on the planet and able to continue to reproduce. So the, the way of natural selection as we saw it in the wild in the past has kind of, kind of gone away. So I think that uh, evolution as we know it, um, I, uh, this is crazy stuff, that I'm, it's a crazy prediction, uh, will start to slow down. People will be able to reproduce that nature maybe have not been able to deselect them, uh, maybe 1,000 years ago. Uh, so I think that we will have many different variations of people. Uh, and you see that even today, even the smartest people and the wealthiest people sometimes have less kids than those that, that don't are the top providers. They may actually have more kids. So you're already starting to see this inverse. So that's, that's my crazy, wacky prediction that evolution as we know it uh, starts to slow down. Natural selection starts to slow down in the human race. Will it? Uh, how about the idea that it would um, these these changes oh, in lifestyle uh, these these changes in lifestyle might push a different direction evolutionarily speaking? Like, not necessarily will it slow down, but it will speed up in a new way. Like it's uh, you know what what kids rich and smart people do have will have such an impact on the world that they only have rich and more rich and smart kids, and eventually they're a super race of rich and smart kids. And that somehow, you know, changes the way that nature selects uh, the next change or the next mutation or the next whatever. Do you see any of that as being possible? Yeah, that's, I mean, definitely there's science fiction movies where you are only allowed to reproduce or your code or your genetics is only pushed into that. Where did we see that one movie? Um, was it Ethan Hawke? Gattaca? Oh, uh, Gattaca, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, that, I mean, I suppose that that's one impact of that i mean that's that's assuming that technology has an advance where you can um so i'm suggesting that technology will will help people that already have diseases and are born with diseases like for example high blood pressure and cholesterol runs in my family so i'm suggesting that my kin will continue to to breed with that issue but technology will advance and protect that well, oh, and there's okay. also the possibility that you could, you could, you know, people with those diseases can breed and uh, select what genes get passed on to their progeny so that those genes just get eliminated from the gene pool entirely. That's a good point. We just edit yeah. it all out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> control, control X, control V, right? It's, yeah. No control Z. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't control Z me. Right? <laughs> don't control Z me, Joshua. What do you think? If if evolution slows down and 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 we 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 start to deviate more, is that a good thing? Well, as far as the manually selecting genes or whatever, you could end up with a bunch of clones because <laughs> you just if everyone started or groups of people started would select the same genes, you would have. A whole bunch of people that were all virtually identical. Well, you have templates. See, that's, that's what's cool, though, because that's when you start producing the weird mutations. Like, um, I watched something on dogs and cats, and now they were domesticated, and they did this little experiment. Uh, I can't remember where, somewhere in Russia or something, where they had a bunch of foxes, and they raised a bunch of them, and then they took the two most docile, put them together, they mated, took that litter's most docile, a litter from another docile pairing, mated those two up, and eventually. Three generations later, they have domesticated foxes. And that process wouldn't have happened 
in three years in the in the, in a natural way that they, that was that was sped up natural selection that was a a process of of evolution on on high speed and it got me thinking and it, it reminds me of this conversation if you have if you, if they and this feels like what that would be this is a way of saying okay well now we're all very similar we're we're on the fast track to perfection uh, and this is you know we put ourselves there and that's where we're headed well. Then what happens? Well, what happens then is the weird stuff comes out. So instead of everybody being very variable and lots of different stuff, he has health concerns, he has mental concerns, that guy's got a wart, that guy doesn't. Instead, you've got, we're all the same, 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 same. Bill's got three arms just out of nowhere, right? That's an awesome future. I, can't, I, can't, I don't know where I was going with this, but <laughs> I'm totally look looking forward some, to that. Some island cultures, uh, I don't want to call any of them out, but they they actually might have a lot of genetic problems and they may could have a shorter lifespan because the genetic code is doesn't deviate so we still need that deviation or the ability to deviate that code uh, so the the race can survive we'll need 20 percent time for reproduction we just need you know 20 percent of the populace to deviate to keep the gene pool healthy so there's going to be a class of deviants is that what you're saying yeah (laughs) you get to volunteer yeah X-Men uh, comic book, it sounds like. I'll have, I'll have the deviant this week. <laughs> I'll do it for the good of the human, human race. Mm. All right, let's uh, get your crazy-ass prediction, Joshua. Time frame doesn't matter. Take the leap. What is the craziest thing you think will happen in the future? Um, sort of going along with the human evolution thing, I think with the proliferation of all this 3D technology, with glasses or without glasses, well, just the idea of forcing two separate images into each individual eye to simulate 3D, we will eventually evolve to the point where we will have independent vision, like chameleons or geckos, where each eye will function independently of the other, and you'll be able to look two places simultaneously. Cool. Wow. <laughs> That sounds awesome. So I just got, I had a, an eye appointment. Uh, this is a, this is related. So I had this eye appointment. I have a terrible left eye. If my, if you could see through this eye, you would just be mortified, right? It's the worst. My right eye is okay. It's a little nearsighted, but my left eye is a piece of junk. And I complained to the doctor. I said, well, curious if you guys ever hear of people having trouble with 3D, like, 3D movies come out. They're really well done like an avatar. So they finally kind of do it right. Yet I go in there and I'm still blurry and have headaches and it's a nightmare. He says, well, that's because that eye is terrible. And because your eye, this is, this astigmatic eye over here won't behave. And it's so much different than this eye that I never can kind of coordinate the two. And that's why 3D sort of fails for me. Um, in the future, if I could do this independently, that would, I mean, we don't need 3D at that point. Like that would go away completely. What advantages does this give me? I can see that car coming while I'm still driving. Is it, I can see the dude creeping up behind me, kind of gecko style. Like how do you see, what practical advantages do your crazy eyes of the future have? Well, you definitely have the thing where you could be keeping track of two things simultaneously. And then I'm not, I don't know what the, technical limitation if you would be able to make anything look 3d even even though it's not you'd probably still have to have that parallax thing on the actual image but yeah you definitely have the sort of the, the cool superpower of being able to look behind you while looking ahead of you and you could be texting on your phone while driving or walking and not have to worry about hitting anything and then, then you could almost literally have eyes in the back of your head or at least be able to see behind you 
And hopefully we'll be able to just clone Scott's good eye and stick it in the other place and just gouge out the other one. I'd do that now if I could. I freaking hate this eye. I look at you now. You're all blurry when I close my right eye. It's horrible. You look like oatmeal to me right now. It's not a good look for any of us. <laughs> no. No, it's not. No one ends up winning in that situation. Mm-mm. All right. Uh, well, that brings us to four questions. Uh, this is That's the right. segment where each of our guests face four rapid-fire questions. Right, Scott? Yes, it is. Four questions, rapid-fire style. And here are the rules. You guys do not have time to think about it. You must answer from the gut. <laughs> the first thing that comes to your mind, you can pause a little maybe. Nope. That's it. So uh, I'm going to ask my questions of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, are you sitting comfortably? It looks like you are. I am. And how long can my answers be? They can be as long or as short as you like within some sort of reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They can be, they can be long. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We, I, we've never really had to lay that rule down, but uh, maybe tonight we learn why. We Less have, than a day. Why. Yeah, less than a day. You can do that. All right, fire away. Here we go. Future all-female government. Best idea ever or a horrible mistake? A horrible mistake. Governments should be representative of the people that they are serving. All right, perfect. Except I forgot to mention we are an all-woman country at that point. <laughs> uh, <what? laughs> now it's we got, the best you, idea we, ever. We uh, control X, the, uh, the Y chromosome, right? That's right. Perfect. <laughs> Don't control Y, though. Uh, what dual use products would you like to see in the future? I.e., combo salad dressing and S- SPF uh, fifty sunscreen, something like that. What kind of combination do you want to see? Uh, solar powered flashlights. <laughs> oh, good. That's not bad. It's actually kind of practical. Unlike rubbing salad dressing all over yourself. Uh, number three. What fictional comic book hero would you most like to see in an actual reality in the future? Uh, they've all been done or they're all coming. So I think we've already exhausted that fly. Mm. But if he was like a real flesh and blood dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, definitely Superman is the world savior. All right. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, no magic, though, is the deal there. If one of our most common house pets could become sentient and take control of the world, which would you prefer that be? Oh, absolutely dogs. Dogs are loyal. Uh, cats are, have their own mind. They go do their thing around the neighborhood. They may or may not care about you. Dogs will be there to defend you and are empathetic. Uh, dogs for the win. All right, I agree. Dogs all the way. Is your dog there, Tom? So they, Yeah, he is. He's somewhere around. Right? He's not right here in the room right now. though. hoping he'd throw a paw up and agree yeah, with he's, us. Yeah, he's definitely throwing a paw in the air. Dog power. <laughs> Uh, and I want to point out that there actually you can actually order a uh, hybrid solar powered flashlight on Amazon. Twenty six dollars here. Thirty six. The only problem is if you're living in a cave and it's already dark, you're really screwed. Yeah, you got to have some sun at some point to get it going. Yeah. Is there any uh, uh, hidden valley SPF fifty in there? Probably I not. couldn't find that. No, sorry, man. Mm. All right. On to Joshua. Joshua, are you sitting comfortably? Uh, yes, I am sitting on a Leo-style ball. Good. Oh. That's why I'm bouncing. I noticed that. <laughs> Good. Then we'll begin. Question number one. What will the first robot president be like? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking too much. I always overthink the Just stuff. tell us your thoughts. That's the key. <laughs> It'll probably be something like Watson. Ah, the, like mm. from Jeopardy. The, yes. uh, the IBM Watson machine. All right. So uh, 
kind of a bad sense of humor, but really good at answering questions. Yes. All right. If understands the question. Question number two. When will Ireland finally launch their space program? Uh, can, I answer, can I answer 42? Yes. <laughs> 42 is an acceptable answer to that question. Question number three. If you could force yourself to be happy with neurosurgery, would you do it? Mm, I don't know. At that point, that that almost is sounding like the drugs kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not you, talking the ice pick in the brain kind of happy because you just don't care about anything. I'm just you know, I'm, you're you're actually going to feel happy, but they just got to knife up your brain a little. That's all. <laughs> I would may I may consider it. <laughs> all right, we don't, don't you don't, <laughs> we don't have to answer yet. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's not, not here. It's not, yeah, it's not even covered. First of all, yeah. yeah. And finally, question number four: Where will humanity be when the sun blows up? Hopefully, very, very, very far away. Mm. All right, or uh, bringing a new one to replace it. So. Mm. All right. Thank you, Joshua. That is four questions. And that is the end of our show, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Jeremiah Aoyang, industry analyst, uh, let folks know about the Altimeter Group, what you do and where they can find more about it online. Yeah, we're a research-based uh, advisory firm, and we help a lot of big corporations with focusing on these new types of technologies. And we're in San Mateo. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Joshua Caleb, uh, let folks know a little more about Retro Games Forever. That is my retro gaming site where I, po- where I occasionally post news and reviews for old classic games. And that's also where I do my own pod- podcast in retrospection, where me and a couple of my friends and other various guests will go back and review classic games and see how they sort of compare and have aged over the years to their modern counterparts. Excellent. RetroGamesForever.com is the place for that. Uh, Web-Strategist.com slash blog. If you haven't uh, noticed it in the lower third, maybe you're on the audio version. That's where you can find Jeremiah. Uh, And FrogPants.com is where you can find Scott Johnson. Yes, indeed. In fact, I should mention this week, I will be guest appearing on uh, Tech News Today with Tom Merritt. You may have heard of him. That's uh, this Wednesday. Never heard of him. So I'm really looking forward to that. But what's really cool about that Wednesday is that morning, Tom Merritt is coming on the morning stream, the official Frog Pants morning show. And we're going to talk about a geeky story in the morning. And I cannot wait for this. We're totally stoked. Uh, more information at frogpants.com slash TMS. Be there. It is the revival and revitalization of the current geek show. So mm, check we're bringing it, it more out. current and geekier than ever. Exactly. And thanks, everybody, uh, for watching Forecast. You can find us online at forecastpodcast.com. Email us, forecastpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. But it's only 32 years away. Way.